0: Today's reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, and this can be found on page 1134 and 1135 of the Red Church Bibles. That's Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. <laughs> Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the privilege to gather here um, and sit before your revelation to us. The 66 books of the Bible, the Old and New Testament, are in fact the word of God, infallible and errant. It means it's uh, never wrong and it'll never be proven wrong. It is in fact your word. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you would speak through this broken vessel and that we might clearly see the beauty of your good news of your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. In 1799, two young lads were fishing in a small uh, stream. And while they were fishing, they looked over and they saw a very large, shiny rock. And so one lad took this big rock to his father and said hey look at this this is grand isn't it and his father thought it was a really nice pretty beautiful rock and so for three years they used this rock to be their front door stop to hold open the front door until a few years later a man from New York City was coming through town because it happened to be a jeweler and he came through the door and he noticed that rock And he offered this man $3 for this rock, which in 1799 was a good amount of money. And so this man, his name was Connor Reed, said, sure, you can have it, I'll take the $3. It's just been a doorstop. Well, he found out a few years later that he had been swindled because that rock happened to be three pounds of rough gold worth over $100,000 at the time. I tell you that story because I think very often we do something with a truth, a reality of our Christian faith, something so valuable, something so precious, yet sometimes we just, uh, it just becomes the proverbial doorstop ignored, not appreciated. So the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans lays out systematically what it means to be a Christian and what are the benefits and blessings of being in Christ. He tells us that we are all sinners. None can stand before the righteousness and glory of God. As a matter of fact, while we were, but while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, he sent his own son to die for us, to stand in our place and take the judgment of our sin upon him so that we might be forgiven our sins. But not only that, that, as he stands in our place of judgment, we get to stand in his place of righteousness before God and that now we are now declared righteous before God. And then here in chapter 8, he begins the chapter with the word, therefore. And hopefully you've been taught, if you see that, you might want to ask, why is it therefore, right? It's a corny thing. But here Paul is saying, okay, if this is true, then what? And he says, therefore, and he launches into the benefits and blessings and the glory of what it means to be in Christ. And at the peak of that, I believe, is the truth that, If we are in Christ, we are in fact adopted as God's sons and daughters. It's one of the most amazing realities of the gospel, what we call the good news. That we would be adopted as sons and daughters. The great theologian J.I. Packer said, Adoption is our highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. And so this morning, I want to look at this, these few verses that were read here in Romans 8. And I think there's three realities of this truth of the gospel that if, I think if we fully grasp, we fully grab a hold of, it'll transform our lives and transform our relationship with God. So let's take a look at these. And the first is that adoption is a binding legal reality, a binding legal reality. We see it here here in verse 14. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, or sons of God. Now, there's a broader teaching out in the Christian world, maybe a more, we might maybe call it a more liberal teaching, would say that we're all children of God. Everybody's a child of God. Now, that is true in the sense that God created us and because God created us we are in a sense his children in that way however the Bible gets the more depth of what happened is that we as God's created children rejected that we've spurned him we've rejected him and we fell away from that into sin and so then now the 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 New Testament describes us not as children of God outside of Christ but we are in fact like in Ephesians 2 by nature children of wrath but the glorious truth of the good news is that if we are in Christ we are now adopted as God's sons as Paul says in Galatians 4, and 5, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, but when, he, when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. But what does this mean? What, how, what does it mean to be adopted? And what, is, what are the implications of that? So let me, give, let me speak from my own story. When I adopted our oldest son, Ashton, um, years ago, he was six years old. He's 27 now. Hard to believe. So, over 20 years ago, I adopted him. And we uh, went through the process of adoption, which in America is probably similar here. You begin, you get a lawyer, and you file paperwork with the courts. And then there's the day where you have to go to court. And finalize the adoption. So I was excited about it because I had like visions of the old um, crime dramas like Perry Mason or, you know, CSI, whatever, you know, was on. Now. Um, but I, you know, I imagine like this courtroom with all the mahogany and, you know, the bench and all this stuff. And it turns out it was just a little office, like a side office. I was a little bit disappointed. But the, the judge did have his little hammer, the gavel, so that made it official, right? But while we were in there, you know, he's going through the procedures and paperwork and stuff. And at one point, this judge addressed me personally. And he said, Mr. Jeffries, do you understand what is happening here? I was like, I think so. And he said, Mr. Jeffries, what's happening here is is that from now on, after this proceeding, you will be legally the father of Ashton. He will be legally your son. So you will be legally responsible for him, legally to, responsible to care for him, to feed him, make sure he goes to school. And then one day when you pass away, he will inherit your millions. Why is that always so funny? I don't. So. Adoption is a legal process in which a person who was not my son became legally my son. And I've heard it said that it's actually easier to disown a biological son than it is a legally adopted son. Did you know that? Don't tell my son that. My other sons, anyway. (laughs) So, what the Bible's telling us here Is that God is legally adopting us legally binding himself to us and so now if you are in Christ you have the right to be called a son or a daughter of God right and in America I don't it's not as much here but in America we love our rights Love rights, especially when it comes to getting my latte just the way I want. The, right? We have our rights. But here's the thing the Bible gives us a clear place. There's one place in the Bible where it is clear we have a right. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it's very clear. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become. The children of God the right and so the image of adoption something to remember and this will be on the screen the image of adoption tells us that our relationship with God is based completely or solely on the legal act accomplished by the father repeat that the image of adoption tells us that our relationship with God is based on a legal act accomplished by the father parentheses not you Uh, Timothy Keller, late pastor and theologian from New York City, said this way. This should be on the screen as well. It says, he says, you do not win a father. You don't negotiate for a parent. Adoption is a legal act on part of the father. It is ex- very expensive and costly only for him. There is nothing the son does to win or earn the status. It is simply received. So if you're here this morning, have you received it? The the, the message is clear that to receive this, all you have to do is believe it and take it. Now there's a flip side of this too. If God accomplished it, if God legally bound himself to us, he can't revoke it. He can't break his own law. He is the righteous judge. He is the holy and righteous one. And so this is a amazing, beautiful, amazing truth that's very intellectual. And so for so those of us who love theology and like intellectual ideas, we just really turn this one around a lot. But it's not just a binding legal reality, there's more to it. Secondly, it's a loving relational reality, a loving relational reality so, so, yes, in adoption, God is legally binding himself to us, legally connecting himself to us. But more than that, in the gracious act of adoption, God is inviting us and drawing us into a special, more intimate, relational relationship. How many times can I say relationship, right? With him. Look here in verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. There's two aspects to this verse I want to look at. The first one is, notice that at the heart of this new relationship of adoption, okay, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Father. And this language here is very intentional that he would say Abba, Father. And this word Abba connotes with it more of an intimate approach to the Father. It was a word that would have been more like Papa, Dad, Daddy, something of that sort. As a matter of fact, though, It's the same language that Jesus himself used in his relationship with the Father. And in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, Our Father. And at the end of his life, the very night he would be betrayed and murdered and hung on a cross, and he's in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he cry out? Abba, my Father. And so... This relationship, these words flow out of what's at the heart of the gospel, what we might call the great exchange. In other words, that Christ took our place. He took our position of judgment and condemnation. He took our sin. He took our record upon himself. And in exchange we take his position, we take his record, we take his position of relationship with the Father. We are brought into the same relationship with the Father that Jesus himself had. And so, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was baptized and he comes up out of the water, And the Spirit of God proclaims down upon him, or the the dove comes down, the Spirit comes down upon him, and in in the heavens proclaim, Behold my son with whom I am well pleased. That phrase now rings over you in your life in every moment. Behold my son, my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. And so we can cry out, Abba, Father. Second part of this, we notice that now we are no longer slaves to fear. The ESV might translate this, I prefer it. A spirit, we, don't, we no longer receive a spirit of slavery. What is he talking about here? Let me share a bit of my, some more of my story. When, when I was a teenager... I um, had decided that there was no God, so I could do anything I wanted, and I lived that, and I had two rules, don't hurt yourself, don't hurt anybody else, and I broke both of those rules in every way you could think of. And when I was 18, I was broken. Um, Long story, but I was confronted with the person of Jesus again, and I knew he was real, and a pastor gave me a little booklet that described, if you're a sinner, I was like, check, got that one. And if you believe and trust in the name of Jesus, yep, I got that one. And it said in bold type, your sins are forgiven. And I remember sitting there on, on the sofa in our house and it felt like a huge stone had rolled off my shoulders and I could fly up into the to the sky. And for the first time, I believed the good news of the gospel and I trusted myself to Jesus. It was, it was great, it was a lovely time. And so I did what I thought I should do now I need to become a good Christian so I got a haircut I quit smoking I quit trying to say bad words all the things and I got some nice clothes and a tie I started going to church and I started going through the motions and I was doing pretty good so much so that people were amazed they were like look at the change this punk skater kid from Atlanta look at him now people came to know Christ my mother came to know Christ because of this Praise God, right? Then I started reading the Bible. Places like Matthew chapter 5, where it talks about if you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. It's like, that was one of my things. I haven't committed murder, you know. Or if you look lustfully upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. And it keeps going. And it gets worse. And so I started realizing, oh, I could do this outside thing pretty well. But inside, I started to realize, oh, there's more in here. But I was afraid to say anything to anybody about that because everybody else looked so good on the outside too. And so I started to feel like a second-class Christian. And believe it or not, I had this, I had this view. I, I truly believed that one day I would die, I would be forgiven, I would make it to heaven. But this was my view of it. That when like, I finally made it to heaven, the gates are about to close, you know, they're, they're shutting. I slip in right before they close. Where nobody would notice me and then I would have to hide and, and, and skulk around behind the rubbish bins stowaway in heaven like didn't don't, why? because I didn't really belong I wasn't like those other good Christians see what I had slipped into there was a spirit of slavery and fear I'd begun to, to not believe this truth of the gospel that the father loves me and adores me and has invited me in and has legally bound himself in adoption to where I could cry, Abba, Father. So I lived as I was just forgiven and then I must slave on in fear in this broken relationship in the future or better shape up or else. Keep, you know, you ever feel like that? Like, God's just tired of you? Sick of your stuff? He's going to give up on you? There's another illustration of this. And may, y'all may know this. In Luke chapter 15, don't bring the verse up yet. Um, y'all know the story. It's the, we know it as the prodigal son. But if you don't know the story, there was a son who went to his father and asked for his inheritance early, which was basically an insult, saying, I want you to be dead. And he took, he took his inheritance, and it says he went off to another country and in wild living squandered all the money. And so he's broke, he's destitute and desperate. And it says that as a, Ju- a young Jewish man, his only hope was to go and feed pigs for a living, which would have been the worst possible lows of lows. And there he is in the pig slop, in the mess. And the text says he came to his senses. In other words, he realized there's got to be something better than this. And so he begins to reason with himself, and he thinks, well, maybe, maybe if I go back to my father, I can strike a deal. Maybe I can go to the father, my father, and broker a deal, and I could just go and be one of his servants. And so he crafts a script that he's going to use when he's going to broker his deal with the father. Bring up the verse for me there. And he says, he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him. So here's his script Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Correct. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So here's his script. So here, and he goes back in hand, script in hand, to the back home, and what happens? Is the, does the father do, what would you do <laughs> if it was your son coming back? It's a good thing we have a Bible, because that's not how it would happen. Because Mine my, my would be like arms crossed, shaking my head, <sighs> long sigh, tapping the toe, right? Let's see what he's got. Let's see what deal he's got for me now. I'll see how he's going to make this right. Is that what happens? No. That's what we would do probably. But the text says the father sees him a long way off. Doesn't wait for anything. He runs to him. Embraces him. And read between the lines. Where has he been? In the pig slop. In the mess. What does, I mean, It must have been gross, right? Embraces him as he is. Kisses him and begins to celebrate the son who was lost and was now found. That is the relationship we're called to. And the good news is, is I don't, wherever you are in your life right now, where, however bad it might seem or where, how strange or stale your life may, with God might feel like, you return to him. You start to turn towards him. He runs to you you make the slight he runs to you and embraces you and loves you not as you should be but as you are but so much of so many of us slip into a, a spirit of slavery and fear where we feel like we got to burger deals with god we think to ourselves well if i read my bible more if i pray more if i go to church more If I don't, if I stop doing this, I start doing that, all the things, and we start brokering deals. God, if I do this and that, then will you receive me? Then will you love me? No. We receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so this is a a binding legal reality, a binding relational reality, but it's also a powerful transforming reality, This truth will totally transform our relationship with God because, again, it's characterized by the phrase, we cry, Abba. We cry, Abba. Let me tell you all a story. I heard about this family. It's actually a pastor and his wife from a place called Dothan, Alabama. Do y'all know where that is? You do. I have no idea where that is. So. That is amazing. That's never happened, even in America. <laughs> so, some small town in Alabama. So, and from Georgia, we used to make fun of Almonds. You know, they're they're all related, and you know, you know, marrying their sisters and brothers. Anyway, sorry if you're from Alabama. No, okay, good, good. Both in Alabama. Anyway, this couple decided they wanted to adopt a child, and so at the time, this was a long time ago before Putin and all the things, but um, they wanted to adopt a child, and so they had hired an adoption agency, and the the best option for them at the time was to adopt uh, a child from Russia. And so uh, they did all the paperwork, did all the things, and part of the process would be for them to travel from Dothan, Alabama, to Russia to adopt, to select a child and adopt the child. And so they did, they did this, and, they, and, and he said that they were heading towards this orphanage. And he was imagining like the worst stuff, right? He was imagining like former Soviet Union, this place has got to be like a gulag or something, right? We got there, and he said it was actually a fairly nice facility. It was like modern and like really nice. And so they're, they're touring around and they're meeting some of the children. And he said that, but as he went on that day or whatever, he said, something just wasn't right about the place. It's like, something really not right. And he said, it was actually his wife who later just said, oh, I know what it is. It's quiet. He said the place was, was like eerily quiet. And he's like, you know, we've been around kids before. If you've ever been around a kid, example in the back, there's this byproduct, right? It's called noise. When there's children around, there's noise. It's like a normal thing that happens. And so they were like wondering, like, why is this orphanage so quiet? And then the awful thought, the awful reality hit them is that the reason why, was so quiet in this orphanage. Is that all these kids, these babies, have given up hope that if they cry out, they would be heard, that they would be listened to, that anybody would respond. And I can't help but think about our own Christian lives, our own churches. Have we gone grown silent in our prayers and our crying out to God because we've given up hope that He really cares? Maybe he doesn't hear, and if he does hear, he wouldn't care to to answer. Is that possible? Okay? But this is where I believe our growth as God's people is transformed. And we reject the idea that if we cry out to him, he won't hear us. Okay? We we don't have to broker deals so he hears us. We don't have to make anything like that. All we need to do is is cry out Abba Father so we no longer have the spirit of slavery to access God we have a spirit witnessing to our spirits where we cry out Abba Father and notice this word cry out here Greek word krazo and it means to what it says to cry out now think about it let's think about babies for a moment babies are born into the world 100% defenseless, 100% um, helpless. They can't feed themselves. They can't warm themselves. they, They can't clothe themselves. Nothing. Left on their own, they perish, right? However, God granted little babies a superpower. Anybody know what it is? Babies have this superpower, and when they evoke this superpower, things start to happen. Amazing things happen. What happens when a baby cries? People start to freak out, right? <gasps> what do we do? <gasps> right? Or <clears throat> mamas go into action, and they're good at it, right? But if you've ever watched a baby that's not yours, and they start to cry, it's a panic mode. See, what's happening here is like, that. this is the same language here, is that we need God. We need Him for everything. We are totally dependent. And so now we're in a relationship where we can cry out to Him. And He listens. This is a second part of that story. This family are there. They're in the orphanage. And they, they had to select a child. And they finally selected this young lad barely a year old, and they're playing with him. This, there was a whole week they were there, and they're getting to know him, and they're like, this is going to be our son, and they, they, this little boy's starting to warm up to them and play with them, and it's just a great time. Well, after a week, the rules were that they would have to leave, go home, and wait for all the adoption process to be finalized, and they would eventually be reunited with this young lad. And they said that last, those last few moments, were just terrible. They said it was so sad. They were crying. They couldn't bear to leave, but they had to. So finally, they leave. And as they walked out the door of the room, they said the most amazing thing happened. That little lad fell back into his crib, or whatever you call it here, <laughs> and began to wail. And for the first time, he said it was, it was so terrible but so beautiful at the same time. But for the first time in this little lad's life, he believed that if he cried out, somebody would listen. Somebody would care enough to respond. And maybe you believe God hears you, but you don't think he cares enough to respond. But in this same chapter, down in verse 32, we're told, God, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. If God is, was willing to sacrifice His only begotten Son for you, why wouldn't He give you everything else you need? I'll give another example of this. When I proposed to my beautiful wife 21 years ago, we went to the top of the Weston Tower in Atlanta. It has a rotating restaurant. And up there on the platform, looking out over beautiful Atlanta, Christmas time with lights everywhere. I kneeled down and I opened a box with a ring in it. Million dollar ring. I said, Amanda Corinne Chandler, would you marry me? And she said, No. Then she said, Yes. We we hugged and kissed. But here's what did not happen later, okay? Later she did not come to me and say, you know, Russell so glad you, you proposed to me and that we're going to get married and you gave me this million dollar ring. Would it be possible to maybe have the little box that came in? Would she have asked that? No. Why? Who cares? <laughs> it's the larger to the lesser. If, if I was willing to propose in marriage to her and give her a million dollar ring, who cares about the box too? See, that's what Paul's saying here is that he who gave his only begotten son, why would he not freely give us all things? You see, we're brought into now a new legal binding reality, a new relationship with the Father as Adored, beloved sons and daughters. And now, our relationship with him should be characterized by crying out to him. Going to him, saying, I need you. I need you, and I need you. And he loves it when we do. So this morning, maybe you're here and you've never received Jesus Maybe you've never, by faith, believed and received the good news of the gospel. Let me invite you to do that this morning. If you do, if you receive by faith what he's done for you by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross and three days later to be raised again, at that moment when you believe and receive it, you now have the right to be called a son or a daughter of of God. And believers here, are we living in the legal reality of our adoption? Or is it just a doorstop? Is it it present reality in your life on a regular basis? Or is it a doorstop? And are you brokering deals with the Father? Are you coming up with your scripts? If I do this, I don't do that, all the things. And is your life as a believer, is it characterized by crying out, Abba, Father? Is it characterized by that relationship? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your beautiful word that tells us this amazing truth that if it was left to us, we wouldn't believe it. It's almost too good to be true. When we think about the prodigal son making his way back to the father, we think of how we would respond. But thank God we have your Bible that tells us how you are, not how we are. That you in your kindness and compassion and mercy run to us and embrace us as we are, mess and all, and you begin to celebrate that we who have been lost have now been found. And so, Lord, help us to live in the reality of this relationship and in this beautiful truth of our adoption. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.